It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. The Dalai Lama once said, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary. It was a look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And joining me, as always, is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Well, Rick, our question is, do I treat you as my neighbor? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 10, verse 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. All right. Do I treat you as my neighbor? So coming up in today's podcast, the story of the Good Samaritan is one of the best-known parables of Jesus but do you really know what it's about? Well, in about 15 minutes, we're going to look at the bad examples of people in authority that Jesus highlighted and find out what they're missing. Did you ever think about what makes someone a good neighbor? How do they think? What do they see? What do they do? Well, that's coming up in about 30 minutes. But to get started, let's find out why Jesus told this powerful story and who Jesus says is your neighbor. The answer to that is pretty powerful. We live in volatile times. Justifiable demonstrations about justifiable concerns are overshadowed and even hijacked by those who simply seek anarchy and overthrow. We're descending into a tribal approach to our issues. If you don't agree with my perspective and my group, then you are considered a bigoted outsider who deserves to be shunned and put down. As sad as this is, it's nothing new. Back in Jesus' day, similar issues existed and even served as standards for living. Fortunately for us, Jesus spoke a simple story that shook this unholy standard to its very core. His story was a response to the simple question, who is my neighbor? It seems vitally appropriate that we re-listen and relearn the lessons that Jesus' simple story taught us. And we're going to be looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. So, Jonathan, let's get right into it. Let's just start with verse 25 of Luke 10. That's the beginning of the story or the beginning of the context. And a lawyer stood up and put to him the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Rick, uh, who was this lawyer? Well, uh, commentator Albert Barnes writes, One who professed to be well-skilled in the laws of Moses and whose business it was to explain them. So this lawyer, this profession of being skilled in the laws of Moses, it says he stood up, he rose, he came forward in a formal way to address Jesus. And Rick, there's really two sides of, of the issue for this lawyer. First, he has God's favor, he's smart, and he's with Jesus. It, it's like the trifecta. <laughs> and secondly... He's in the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah, he is. So we got to ask, what's this lawyer's intention? Is it friendly conversation? Is it wanting to learn? Is it a desire to compare theological understanding? Is it, is it testing Jesus' wit or knowledge of the law? Or is it entrapment? 
Well, so let's find out. It says in the scripture, he put Jesus to the test. What does that actually mean, that phrase, to the test, mean? Well, it means to test thoroughly. Okay. It's only used, that Greek word is only used two other times in the New Testament. And let's take a look at those other two, because this will tell us what this really means. First, Satan, okay, whenever you talk about Satan, it's never good. Satan suggesting Jesus throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Luke 4, 12, Jesus is going to respond to Satan's um, suggestion here. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, you shall not put God to this major test of who he is. That, make, that makes that word test a kind of a big thing. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 8 and 9 also uses the same word for put to the test. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. And Rick, that word try is the same word to the test. Okay, so we should not put God to the test. It's the same kind of intensity that we see this lawyer putting Jesus to the test. So he is really looking to push him. It's almost like getting up in your face nose to nose saying, I want to see what you know. You know, that, that's, that's kind of the vision I have of this. So this lawyer is presenting himself as the expert and is pressing to reveal any weakness he can find in Jesus. Let's go back to Albert Barnes' uh, commentary uh, on, on the idea of him tempting him. What, did, what does he say about that? He says, feigned a desire to be instructed, but did it to perplex him or to lead him, if possible, to contradict some of the maxims of the law. So... Yeah. There's an agenda here. Yes, yes, okay. And, you know, the question was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Again, Barnes' commentary on this. Barnes was very particularly good on this particular story. Be saved. This was the common inquiry among the Jews, that they said that man must keep the commandments, the written and oral law. Okay, so the lawyer is testing jesus in a very strong way and he's looking to take control of the situation jesus immediately recognizes the motivation of the lawyer he can read the heart okay so he recognized the motivation and he responds quietly and calmly with a question luke 10 26 to 28 and he said to him what is written in the law how does it read to you and he answered you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So Jesus really kind of puts it in order. He just gives the right, asks the question, has the lawyer, interestingly, turns the tables, has the lawyer give him the answer and Jesus gives the approval for the answer. So he just turned the tables on him. Not only does Jesus give the perfect answer according to law, he proves its perfection by quoting proof of God's promise to Israel. Okay? Because he, he says, do this and you will live. He's actually quoting Leviticus 18, part of Leviticus 18, verses 4 and 5. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, to live according with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. So Jesus goes back to the Old Testament law, puts it all in order. It's very simple, very straightforward. 
But you know what? The lawyer's not done with this. Luke 10, 29 shows us. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Well, Rick, why the follow-up question by the lawyer? Well, I think there's two, two parts to that. First of all, in Jewish tradition, that is part of how you had these theological conversations. It was by questioning the person you were speaking with. So there's something to that. But also, he is trying to reestablish, I think, his domination of the conversation, because it says, seeking to justify himself. He's like, oh yeah? Well, let me just take control back from you. Okay, so it's not a, you know, his, his motivation isn't great here. No, it doesn't sound it. Well, hey, um, to help teach your kids about the Good Samaritan, we suggest watching this short animated CQ Kids video, Who Was the Good Samaritan? Okay, you can find that on our uh, YouTube channel. All right, so Jonathan, let's, let's take a, a, a moment here and let's shift gears for a moment and let's go to a story. This is uh, from Above Motivation and it's called Be Kind. It's a wonderful story that we're going to feature throughout the podcast, a true story of an experience of a man who truly lived the Good Samaritan principles in this experience. 20 years ago, I drove a cab for a living. When I arrived at 2.30 in the morning, the building was dark except for a single light in a ground floor window. Under these circumstances, many cab drivers would just honk once or twice, wait a minute, then drive away. But I had seen too many impoverished people who depended on taxis as their only means of transportation to drive away. Unless the situation smelled of danger, I always went to the door. So I walked to the door and knocked. Just a moment. Answered a frail, elderly voice. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 80s stood before me. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. Would you carry that this bag out to the car for me? She said. I took the suitcase out and returned to assist the woman. She took my arm and walked slowly toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. Oh, it's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat all my passengers the way I would want my mother treated. You know, that's a that's a great, a great picture already we'll see what happens with that as we develop this this uh this parable of the good samaritan so the lawyer asked the question okay wishing to justify himself who's my neighbor interestingly quote my neighbor is thoroughly described in leviticus as this lawyer would have known he's a doctor of the law he knows this my neighbor first example is the needy and the hungry how do we know leviticus 19 9 through 10 now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Okay, the needy and the hungry. My neighbor's also my employee. How do we know? Well, Leviticus 19, now verse 13. You shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. Okay, so you've got this idea that the person that works for you, you treat with that kind of respect. My neighbor also, according to Leviticus 19, this time verses 17 to 18, is my countryman. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, 
but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can reprove your neighbor, but you don't sin by bearing a grudge. This is giving us a wide berth on who my neighbor is. And finally, my neighbor, according to Leviticus 19, verse 34 this time, is the stranger in the land. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the lawyer would have known who his neighbor was. It's all in one chapter of Leviticus. That's an important basis for our conversation. So, Jonathan, each, each, each segment, each time we pause, we want to look at knowing how to be neighborly. What do we have to start with? Well, according to the Jewish law, our neighbor could be almost anyone. Let us remember to use spiritual peripheral vision to notice our neighbors in all aspects of life. Peripheral vision means you're seeing everything that's within your sight and you're noticing all of the things around you. That's the key to understanding who your neighbor is. Well, in ancient times, being a good neighbor required attentiveness. Seems like we lost that along the way. How did Jesus use the lawyer's own question to stretch his thinking beyond his own comfort zone? We're rolling out new series content this year. Multiple episodes on one topic over consecutive weeks, such as what do we do when the Bible seems to contradict itself? Go to ChristianQuestions.com and search for Bible Contradictions to see the full series of episodes and stay tuned for more new episodes and more new series releases at ChristianQuestions.com. There's so much we can learn from how Jesus taught. First of all, he was never rattled. Secondly, he always looked for ways to elevate the minds of those who were listening. Thirdly, he usually did this by way of storytelling, a non-threatening approach that would engage and educate his audience. So you have this sense that Jesus was on top of the situation, and even though this lawyer with the credentials of being the lawyer essentially challenges him, he just takes it right in stride. Jesus, the man with no formal education, but with God's Spirit, the Son of God, handles this. Before we get back to the story, let's go back to be kind. Remember this, this man uh, picks up in the middle of the night, this, this elderly woman, for, because she called him for a, a taxi ride. Let's see what happens. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address, then she said, Oh, by the way, could you drive uh, through downtown? It's not the shortest way. Oh, I, I don't mind. Uh, I'm, I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror and her eyes were glistening. I, I don't have any family left, she said almost to herself. The doctor says I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take? For the next two hours, we drove all around the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd asked me to slow down in front of a particular building or corner. She would sit staring into the darkness, saying nothing. 
You know, you get the sense that there's a story here that uh, that just makes the Good Samaritan come alive in a much more modern way, in a very different uh, uh, scenario. A beautiful, beautiful story unfolding. Stay with us to hear the rest of it. Let's get back to the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10.30 is where we're picking up. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Okay, so the first thing we want to establish is the man who is beaten up is a Jew. He is of Jewish descent, and Jesus is talking about him because he is talking about their own people. So that's the the first important thing. Let's get a little bit more in terms of commentary to set some of the context. We'll go to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown for this. From Jerusalem to Jericho, a distance of 19 miles northeast, a deep and very fertile hollow. The road being rocky and desolate was a notorious haunt of robbers then and for ages after and even to this day. So that brings it right up to the present. Um, It does indeed. it's It's a dangerous road. It's rocky. It's desolate. And it's a long way, 19 miles. So it's a common journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, on a common road. And that tells us Jesus taught the most important lessons using the most common aspects of life. Why? Because that way you have everybody's attention because everybody can relate to this. So he's got their attention. The man's beaten up. He's bloodied. He's not in good shape on this very common road in a very unfortunate circumstance. Let's get back to the story, Luke 10, 31 to 32. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also. And when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Okay, so we've got these two individuals. Let's go to Adam Clark. We're doing a lot with commentaries today. Adam Clark, because he gives us a good sense of what it means to have be a priest and or a Levite. Priest and Levite are mentioned here partly because they were the most frequent travelers on this road and partly to show that these were the persons who, from the nature of their office, were most obliged to perform works of mercy and from whom a person in distress had a right to expect immediate support and comfort. And their inhuman conduct here was a flat breach of the law. Well, Rick, uh, is Jesus putting the lawyer into this story based on the priest and the Levite? Yeah, he is, because these are his people, okay? These are the people that he would associate with, because this is the upper echelon of Jewish society. Which he is a part of. Which he is absolutely a part of. He's a spokesman for, in many ways, from the legal perspective. So, yes— he is subtly, Jesus doesn't put a lawyer into the picture, but he gets it close enough where he would be uncomfortable. And they're ignoring the man in danger is a difficult thing. The commentary said it's a flat breach of the law, and we'll get into that in a moment. So a priest is one of the highest representatives of the law. He avoids his neighbor. His neighbor, remember we established who your neighbor is, and he doesn't help. The Levite, an instructor and guide of the people, sees, he perceives, he really understands what's going on. It's not just caught a glance of. He sees his neighbor also and then passes by on the other side. These reactions were an insult to the integrity of the Jewish law. An insult to the integrity of the Jewish law. How do we know that? 
Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. Let's take 1 and 2, and then we'll, we'll pick up with 3 and 4. You shall not see your countryman's ox or his sheep straying away and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly bring them back to your countrymen. If your countryman is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it home to your house, and it shall remain with you until your countryman looks for it, and then you shall restore it to him. Okay, so the first part of this is talking about an ox or a sheep that strays away from somebody and you don't even know who it is. You're instructed by the law to take that animal in and to care for it until its owner shows up. That's just an animal we're talking about. It's not another human being, but the idea of caring for it and treating it essentially like your own until its owner comes is a big deal. The law was emphatic about that, but it gets, goes further in verses 3 and 4 of Deuteronomy 22. Thus you shall do with his donkey, and you shall do the same with his garment. And you shall do likewise with anything lost by your countrymen, which he has lost and you have found. You are not allowed to neglect them. You shall not see your countryman's donkey or his ox fallen down in the way and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly help him to raise them up. So if an animal is injured along the way, even if your, your neighbor loses his garment, you're supposed to take care of it. So you have this mutual responsibility that was plain and straightforward and simple. So when this priest and this Levite saw the injured countryman, this injured neighbor, and walked away around the, on the other side, it was a flat breach of what they were taught. So Jesus' message to the lawyer and his Jewish audience is, do what you know should be done. Now, he doesn't say that, but he's implying that. Though we are not under the law, Okay, under the literal law, we are still obligated to do what we know to be right. We know that from James 2, 14 to 16. What use is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? You know, and this is, this is important, Jonathan, and we, you know, we've quoted the scripture many times. You show us your faith by your works. Now, this isn't saying that you go out and try to solve everybody's problems, everybody's no, it's not. social no, and right. physical and, right. and, and, and financial problems. What this is saying is along the way, as you go, if your brother or sister is in trouble, help them. Your spirituality doesn't make you rise above helping what's in front of you. It makes you work through helping what's in front of you. That's the big deal here. Okay, so now let's get back to the story of the Good Samaritan, and here's where the Samaritan comes into the story, Luke 10, 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Okay, he felt compassion. We're going to get into that in the next segment. You've got to stay with us for that. But there's, there's three basic points here that we want to just put in play understanding this, the entrance of the Samaritan. Well, the first, this Samaritan was on a journey. He had some place to be. He did. He's, he's going from point A to point B. He's got an objective. What else? He also sees. He perceives the man's condition as the previous two Jewish leaders did, did the same, but they did nothing. Right. So he is in the same boat. He's got some place to go. He sees the injured man. What's the third point? The Samaritan has compassion. And that is all the difference. 
what does that mean? Well, we're going to get into that in the next segment. So we see this man coming upon the injured man, and there's going to be a very different response. So our knowing how to be neighborly point is what? It is not enough to know what is right. For all of God's people at all times in his plan, compassionate actions towards our neighbor is expected. We are expected to act compassionately. Always have been if you're God's chosen, and always will be if you're God's chosen. You can see Jesus is setting up the unexpected turn of events to bring home a powerful, life-changing lesson. Why did Jesus choose the Samaritan as the good guy? What is the impact on being a good neighbor? If you love our podcast, show us some love on social media. Search for our handle at CQ Bible Podcast, or just search for Christian Questions on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and Twitter. Now back to our discussion. The importance of the Samaritan in this story cannot be underestimated. As we will see, Jesus is is showing the lawyer who challenged him, his Jewish audience, and us the deep importance of not avoiding responsibility as well as not judging a person's character by their associations. And that, my friend, is going to plow through your brain as you listen to this story because there's so much to this. So the Samaritan is our focus here. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan, but there's, there's two real reasons. First, the Samaritans physically being a Samaritan, just the fact that he was a Samaritan, was trouble. Let's go to McClintock and Strong Encyclopedia of the Bible for a little bit of an explanation on that. The Samaritans are said to have done everything in their power to annoy the Jews. They would refuse hospitality to pilgrims on their road to Jerusalem, as in our Lord's case. They would even waylay them in their journey, and many were compelled through fear to take the long route by the east of Jordan. So it says they would do anything they could to annoy the Jews. <laughs> you know, and you've got, this, you've got this feud almost between these two peoples. Kind of sound familiar? I'm just saying. And, you know, let, let's look at the example where they did that to Jesus himself. They looked to annoy, to not help, to not be neighborly, if you will. Luke chapter 9, verses 52 to 56, Jesus and his disciples are moving from city to city to preach the gospel. And he, Jesus, sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. So, you know, the interesting thing is Jesus couldn't be bothered with the pettiness of, oh, you did that to me, did you? Well, let me do this. Of course, what they're asking Jesus is to pull an Elijah, you know, where you, where you call down fire <laughs> no. and, and destroy the, the, the opposition. And, and so Jesus is saying, you don't know what you're talking about. This is not something we need to even be concerned with. And he didn't let it bother him. So this is, this is an important setup to understand the animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, Trap commentary also adds a little bit to this. The Jews therefore hated the presence, the fire, the fashion, and the books of a Samaritan. 
Neither was there any hatred lost on the Samaritan's part, for he had been touched of a Jew. He would have thrown himself into the next water, clothes and all, <laughs> both of them equally sick to the point of saying, do not touch me. So, literally, <laughs> you had this sense of, oh, one of them touched me, and you go to wash it off of you. You know, this is this is very dramatic in terms of this incredible, incredible angst that existed on both I sides mean, of this. This is racism. It's bigoted uh, attitude, and it's in a terrible sense, even more so than probably we see today. It is. You know, you, you think about that, and you go, wow, think about this, okay? Let, let's go through just some of the points of a similarity and differences. Go ahead, with the Samaritans. Uh, the Samaritans had heritage connections with Jews, but lived differently. Okay. They had the same heritage, the same blood in them. They had major political differences between Samaritans and Jews. What else? The Samaritans had a heritage of paganism. They had major religious differences with the Jews as well. What else? And the Samaritans did not like the Jews and were not liked by the Jews. They had major moral differences as well. So you have political, religious, and moral differences. And what does that bring us to? Well, the Samaritans had the ensuing bitterness was deep, corrosive, and encompassing. On both sides. This was nasty. This was downright nasty. It wasn't like, oh, we don't like them. It was, we hate them. It was, let's go out of our way to make their lives more difficult. Nasty. So you look at this, and you're right, Jonathan, you get a sense of, wow, uh, we can kind of feel that kind of animosity going on today, can't we? We can. So with that thought, let's go back to the story of Be Kind and the man who picks up this old woman in the middle of the night to drive her to hospice. And now they are driving around town. He turned off the meter in the taxi because he realizes this is the last road, the last drive, the last journey this woman is ever going to take. As the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, Okay, I'm ready. Let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. It was a low building. Two orderlies came out to the cab. As soon as we pulled up, they were solicitous and intent. Watching her every move, they were expecting her. I opened the trunk, took out the small suitcase, carried it to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked. No, you don't owe me anything, I said. Oh, you have to make a living, she answered. Oh, there are other passengers, I responded. Almost without thinking, I bent over and gave her a hug. and She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little bit of joy, she said. Thank you. That just makes you stop, doesn't it? Oh, that does. That's beautiful. You, you, you get into this animosity and this anger and this back and forth and and the pettiness and 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 the judgment and then you hear something like that and you say wait human beings human beings so we see the samaritan was chosen for the story because of this incredible animosity the second major point about the samaritan is jesus description of this particular samaritan is deeply moving especially in the light of what we just saw and of all of that bad stuff Let's go back. Let's reread Luke 10, 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, 
And when he saw him, he felt compassion. Okay, he felt compassion. Does that mean he just felt bad for the guy? What does the word mm, compassion mean? Oh, oh, this is a really neat word, Rick. It means to have the bowels yearn, that is figuratively, feel sympathy, to pity. Okay, it's not just a surface feeling. This is big, this is deep. This word means to be deeply moved from the depths of your heart and is only used when Jesus is describing someone in a parable or is being described himself. Let's just quote just two of the examples. First, Matthew 9, 36, and this is about Jesus. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. You know, the idea of sheep without a shepherd is a big deal. It's a big thing to look at and to feel because sheep are dependent upon their shepherd. And sheep have anxiety when they don't have a shepherd. And Jesus saw that, and he had deep pity and reached out to them. Another description of Jesus in Luke 7, 12 to 13. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. So you have this real sense of, of wanting to stop, seeing this mother who's now childless, and he had compassion. And Rick, this word is used 12 times in the New Testament. Now there are seven examples of Jesus using this type of compassion when he had this deep compassion of his, in his heart for healing, casting out demons, and raising the dead. Jesus used this word in three of his parables to make an impact on the importance of compassion. And the one parable, the king forgiving the servant's debt, obviously he was teaching forgiveness, and the prodigal son, where his son returned, the, he was lost, but now he's found. And now here we're visiting um, the parable of the Samaritan, Good Samaritan. So seven different times, Jesus himself is, is said to have had this kind of compassion. Yes. This is the only, these are the only times this word is used. So it's either about Jesus or Jesus using it in his teachings. That's the depth of what the Samaritan was showing us. What does that mean? Well, let's get back to the story and find out. Luke 10, 34 and 35. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him into an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Okay, so before we get into that, Jonathan, let's just kind of wrap up the, the idea of compassion, knowing how to be neighborly. What, what, what is our point there? Well, Jesus is teaching us that being a neighbor is an inside-out task. We cannot feign compassion. It must well up from within and provoke action. Compassion is not something you can pretend. That's the point. You don't just kind of go along with it. You either have it or you don't. And Jesus is showing us the depth of this compassion. So we just read Luke 10, 34 and 35, that that describes what the Samaritan did. So let's take this apart. And, and folks, we really need to pause and consider here these parts of this story. So Jonathan, there's actually seven very important points of what the Samaritan did. Let's go through these one at a time. What's the first one? Well, he put his personal agenda aside and was moved with compassion. 
He had a place to go. He had people to see. He had things to do. But those things became unimportant because his compassion told him something else needed to be done. Well, do we act on our gut reaction to help or do we pass it by? You know, that's a hard question. And that's the mirror question for the day. It is. What do I do? Am I like that Samaritan who said, wait, I know I have an agenda, but look at this. What's the next thing he does? Well, he treated the stranger's wounds with wine to clean them and oil to ease his pain. Okay, so that gives us a sense of really taking care. I mean, he's not just saying, shaking him and saying, hey, buddy, you okay? Buddy, wake up. Buddy, get up, will you? He is treating his wounds. That means you are taking care, you're taking time, you are, you are engaging. What else? He lifted the stranger onto his own donkey. He put himself in harm's way by lifting dead weight. Yeah, because, you know, this guy is, is really beaten badly. Yeah. And, and so he can't help. Yeah. <laughs> at yeah. All. Yeah. So, and you think about that and you think of what's he doing? Well, there's nobody else around. If I don't tend to this man, he's no probably, right, he's probably going to die. I must act. That's what this Samaritan, this person who's an outcast in society, that's what this Samaritan is doing. What, I mean, there's so much more. This is amazing. What else? He was willing to walk um, to be able to move the wounded stranger to a safe haven of security and comfort. Okay. So it was inconvenient. He walked with his donkey, with his person on it, the whole way till he came to an inn. So that took time. And, and think about it. He was naked. I bet he clothed him when, when they arrived there. So, so, so he, he covered him. He respected him. He treated the wounds immediately. And then he says, okay, I've got to get him to a place where he can actually recover. So this, is, this compassion is thought out. It's, 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 it's clear. It's got an agenda that says, I've got to do all of these things. So, so you see the depth when it says he had compassion of what it meant. What's next? Well, he sacrificed his own sleep and spent the night caring for the wounded stranger. That's powerful. You know, he could have left him at the inn and said, here, the guy's a wreck. Just hopefully he makes it through the night. I got to go. Could have, but he didn't. He stayed with him, cared with him through the night. What else? He not only paid the innkeeper for that night, but he gave him enough money for the stranger's care in the next two more nights when he would be absent. So the two denarii were two days, uh, two days wages. So he paid three days total to take care of this man. So you think about that and you think, okay, he's paying to have a perfect stranger stay in an inn. Now he's figuring, you know, maybe he'll be better out overnight, but just in case, here's enough for two more days. I mean, you think that's compassion. That's, that's the depth of going out of your way and actually caring about the well-being of somebody you have no idea who he is. The one thing you know, he's a Jew, and he doesn't like you, and you generally don't like him. Talk about power in this compassion. What else? And, and we know, Rick, that three um, represents a complete number. So he completely... So, you know, wanted to take care of this man, even when he wasn't there. Yes. But the last point is he offered to pay any balance for the stranger's care upon his own return. He went above and beyond with his generosity. Okay. So 
he also told the innkeeper that, look, if, if he has to stay longer, I'll take care of it. On my way back, I'll stop. And the fact that he gave him two extra nights, the innkeeper has a sense that this guy's for real. So you, you've got this, this really big, big, big story here that you see what compassion really, really is. Now, you know, it's interesting. Now in 2020, uh, you know, what, what, what would we do? We'd call 911. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, that's what we do. But, but that's a good thing. Right. Because they're professionals and they can help. Right. But the thing is, what you would do also, if somebody is beaten and bloodied, is you try to help them and hold them and care for them and maybe stop the bleeding until the professionals arrived. Absolutely. The point is, you'd go out of your way, you'd pause your life, and you'd do something. That's what we want to be focusing on here. There's four categories of helping someone in need. They, we could, there could be medical situations, physical situations, emotional situations, or spiritual situations that all require a good neighbor. And so we want to understand, you know, medical, somebody has a heart attack. Physical, somebody falls and breaks their leg. You know, it's, it's a different kind of scenario. Or you know, uh, emotional circumstances. You know, we, we did our, uh, a series uh, not too long ago with uh, talking about those with anxiety and depression. Good neighbors are desperately needed in those circumstances. And spiritually, sometimes we get spiritually off and you need that neighbor, that brotherhood to help hold you up. So there's a process that the Samaritan shows us for those who are in need. And, and it's, it's interesting that the process actually has seven steps to it, kind of like the seven things that we just talked about. What's the first one? Well, respond. We need to decide. I'm that person. I need to do this. Yeah. We need to think, it's got to be me because here I am and I've seen it. The second one is be present in the moment. Don't let, well, I'm going to be late. Uh, I've got other things. No, you've got somebody's life in your hands. Be present. Take care of it. What's the third, third one? point? Commit to helping the person, which means putting your own life on hold. Okay. Just allow yourself to stop because what's the most important thing? The preservation of that life, even if it is a stranger. Fourth point, bring the individual to safety. Move them. Calm them. Counsel them. Guide them. You know, we're not going to always run across a situation where there's a physical malady that you're going to have to nurse them through because we have facilities and we have professionals that will do those things. But in our spiritual lives and with our brotherhood, we may run into circumstances where we just need to be present for somebody going through difficult trials and difficult temptations or issues or traumas or whatever it is to just be there and guide and calm, and counsel, and just be their friend. You've got to just engage. And the, the fifth process uh, for those that are in need, sometimes someone just needs you to sit with them while they sleep so that they know they're not alone. You know, and you say, what? Well, I've actually, I've actually had that experience. I've had that experience where someone was so distraught that they called me and, 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 and went saw them and and it, it, they were so troubled at night, they just said, could you just, I'm going to try to, can you just sit there with me? And I said, sure. And, and literally just sat there and, you know, half hour later, Brother Rick, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. I'm here. It's okay. You can rest. You know, and, you know, just be there. 
just that's the compassion that Jesus is, is expressing through the act of this Samaritan. The sixth point, uh, they, you need to be committed to their well-being through the trauma. We can't restore what is lost, but we can help them stand up again. That's a powerful, powerful point. What's the next? And the seventh point is stay connected. Follow through in their recovery. If we don't follow through, and that, that's a big part of the story that's often overlooked. The Samaritan did everything. He stayed up all night with the guy. He paid for an extra two days, and then he was going to come back and make sure things were okay. He followed through as far as he could. We need to stay connected when we're faced with helping someone. So, Jonathan, there's so much to this Samaritan's thoughtfulness, heart, and actions. Knowing how to be neighborly, what do we have? Jesus is demonstrating neighborly compassion in action and is reminding us that anyone, no matter what we think of them, can be this kind of neighbor. And again, the Samaritan was not a guy that you'd look to and say, now there's a guy I want to be like. Not at all. And yet he's the man that's showing us exactly what Jesus wants us to do. This is powerful and scary. It takes an open mind to see such compassion in someone we naturally don't like. What can we take home from all of this? How can this action-filled compassion change our lives? Our team of volunteers are accomplishing amazing work every week as we release new audio, video, and web content, helping create the Christian Questions Multimedia Ministry. There's several ways you can get more involved in our not-for-profit mission. Click on Support CQ in our main menu on ChristianQuestions.com. To be able to not only be a compassionate neighbor, but also be able to see the compassion in others we may not be fond of is challenging. The answers are only found when we're willing to ask ourselves where we are lacking and then be willing to engage in the change that we need to grow. You know, and, and Jonathan, that's the whole point of this, is Jesus is telling this story not to embarrass somebody. He's telling this story to show us how to grow into somebody who is more Christ-like even that lawyer who was there to challenge him, not for very good motivation. He's showing him how to grow. Let's go to, uh, back to be kind. Okay, so you've got this, this, this taxi driver drives this old woman to hospice care, and it's 4.30 in the morning or so, and he says goodbye to her, and he gives her a hug, and she said, thank you for showing an old woman such kindness. So let's, let's wrap this story up. I squeezed her hand, then walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought for the rest of the day. I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten in an an angry driver earlier that morning, or one who was impatient? What if I had refused to take the run or had honked once and driven away? On a quick review, I don't think I have done anything more important in all my life. Compassion, to live compassionately, is one of the most important things 
we can do, especially as Christians, to model what Jesus thought and Jesus did. So Jesus has finished the story, and now he's going to conclude the lesson. Luke 10, 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Well, Rick, at least the lawyer was honest and he answered Jesus. He did, you know, and you give him credit for that. He stepped up and he observed what the story was about. And he said, yes, you know, the, the one who had mercy. And so Jesus' response to the lawyer is, you, sir, you Jew of Jews, you upper echelon of society of the Jewish nation, you go now and be like that Samaritan. You be like that person who so many of us look at with such disdain. You go do the same. Be like him. That's a tough lesson. That is. Can we adopt that lesson? That's the question. So there's four important lessons to learn from the Samaritan's compassion. Uh, what, what's the first one? The first one is, who am I? Okay, so it's perspective. We've got to know what our perspective is. Who am I? Well, Matthew 5, verses 13, 14, and 16 tells us, and we'll just do verse 13 first. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men in such a way that you may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so you got two pieces. You're the salt of the earth. You are, salt is a preservative. Salt was plentiful but powerful in what it was used for. And many soldiers were paid in salt because it was a preservative for meats and so forth. So you are the preservative of the earth. Salt represents character. You are somebody who should be in, in a position that others can depend on. Then it says you are the light of the world. I mean, if you're light, that means wherever you go, people should be able to see more clearly. They should be able to see without the fog of worry and concern. As Christians, we should strive to be identified by what we do even more than what we say. It's got to come from what we do. It's great to, to, to be able to spout off Scripture, but we should be identified by what we do more than what we say. We are salt. We are light. Are we identifiable as such by the neighbor that we are every day? How am I doing? with being a neighbor. Oh, Rick, my cousin David Bushy of BostonExecutiveCoaches.com is a former senior airline executive who works with leaders throughout American industry. And I love what he wrote in his recent blog and thought it was very fitting for our discussion. He said, especially during these challenging times, each of us needs to have someone look at us, ask how we are, and then just give the gift of listening. My client aptly called it attending to others as the greatest gift we can give. We can't necessarily solve such issues for our people, and most people don't really expect us to be able to do so. We all need to just ask the simplest of questions. 
How are you today? What is on your mind? And then just listen with our eyes, our ears, and our heart. Just listen. Completely listen. So let's look at perspective. You know, who am I? Salt and light. Okay, so for, for wherever you are in life, let me just throw out a few examples. If you identify as a Democrat, okay, I'm talking about American politics right now. You know what? Your neighbor is a Republican. I'll tell you that right up front. If you identify as a Republican, you know what? Your neighbor is a Democrat. Do you look at them that way? Or do you look at them as, oh, no, no, I don't want to talk to one of them. Which is it? Who am I? If you're white, your neighbor is a person of color. If you're a person of color, your neighbor is white. Do you look at them that way with that neighborly approach to say, hey, how are you? What's on your mind? Or is it, oh, no, you're one of those people who see things and react differently and I don't know. Jonathan, our responsibility is to know to be of good character and to be light in all areas of our lives. Have proper perspective. Absolutely. The second point is to have priorities. Our priorities need to be straight. Is my good neighboring consistent with the most important things in God's service? Is my being good neighbor consistent with what God would want me to be doing? Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So Rick, this is like heart versus ritual. With ritual, you let your heart go dark. It, it becomes numb. Yeah. You know, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an important point. Ritual darkens the heart because it's rote. It's, it's done without thinking. It's done without engaging. And that was one of the problems with the Jewish nation. Is it a problem with me in my Christianity right here and right now? Is my heart being darkened by what I do by rote, or am I living that compassionate life? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing for selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Boy, is that a powerful statement. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Remember your neighbor? Remember who, who your neighbor is? The person you may not like? That's your neighbor. Regard one another. Now, look, I know in Philippians it's talking about within the brotherhood, and you can say, well, Rick, don't misapply the scripture, but take the principle. Take the principle of what Jesus said in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan was the outcast, and yet the Samaritan was the hero, the compassionate one, the one who rose above and beyond, who put himself aside to save the life of a man he did not know and probably did not really like because of who he was. But he did it anyway. So do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Let's make sure our being a good neighbor is focused this way. As Christians, we must always be aware of Jesus' example of a God-first, other-second kind of humility. So we've got perspective, who am I? Priorities, having our good neighboring consistent with the most important thing in God's service. The third point is practicality. How do I easily and consistently 
key in to the compassion of the Good Samaritan. How do I get myself to understand what should happen when I come across a situation that needs a good neighbor? I think a great way to do this is Luke chapter 6, verses 31 to 32. These are the words of Jesus. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. There you go. That's how you understand what it means to be a good neighbor. If you were sick or, or broken up in pieces because you got beat up and left on the side of the road, wouldn't you want somebody to come and care for you and lift you up and help you out and stop the bleeding and get the help that you need? Oh, Absolutely. Then be that person. It's that simple. As Christians, we need to readily access the selflessness of Christ. So we've got perspective, priorities, practicality, and the fourth point is perseverance. Finish what you start. Jonathan, I think this is the hardest one. Oh, it is, Rick. You're right. Follow through. Finish what you start. As the Samaritan followed through, so should we. Romans 12, 14 to 15. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, there's a sense of, it doesn't say, you know, just throw a little bit of weeping along their way, you know, and then just let them be. It says weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. The sense I get from that is that the staying power of entering into someone's experience. And when you do that, that's how you become a good neighbor. That's how you emulate the Good Samaritan and what Jesus himself did. As Christians, we're in training to bless the world. Let's not forget that. You might as well start right now with those we don't know. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So l- let's go back to be kind above motivation just to hear his wrapping up of his story with the old woman. There's one thing all of us have in common. We've been mistreated by somebody. Some of you have known abuse misunderstanding and all of this has a way of siphoning your tank of kindness it can make you hard and you can get on with hard you you can get along with it in fact some will even respect you more because you're tough but I urge you not to be be kind tender hearted forgiving one another. When I'm truly free of revenge and bitterness, there is plenty of room in my heart left for kindness. And not until. Do what's right. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. And that really puts this story right in perspective. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That's what Jesus showed us. And, you know, in, in the bonus material of, of, of Seek Your Rewind, um, in our show notes, uh, we, we give some examples of how Jesus treated the Samaritans. And he literally practiced what he preached. And that's just an exciting example of how Jesus was everything he was teaching. He never taught anything that wasn't already being lived every day by his own actions. So as we wrap this up, Jonathan, knowing how to be neighborly, what's our final point there? 
Well, this parable of Jesus helps us to see our reactions with clarity and our neighbor's reality through compassionate eyes. You know, we need to see our reactions clearly and decide what our response is going to be. And it helps us to open our eyes to compassionately to what our neighbor's reality is. Because there's, there's several points that, that need to be put on the table as we wrap up. What, let, let's go through those. Well, all people are subject to trial and tragedy in life, and we all have witnessed it. You know what? No matter who you are, no matter what kind of life you've lived, you have seen somebody go through something that's difficult. What else? Trial and tragedy, even when they are not our own, are never convenient. You got to realize, and I, I know we do, but we don't think about the fact that somebody else's trial and tragedy is inconvenient because you know how it would be if it happened to you. So allow yourself to, to, to engage and be part of that. This next point, Jonathan, is really, really critical. Just because we have religion does not mean we know God. You know what? Let's think about that. And you know, that ought to be on a sticky note on our refrigerator or on your mirror. Just because you have religion, just because I profess this or that, doesn't mean I know God. How can you tell if you know God? How are you acting? What are you doing? How are you living your religion? Next point. If someone doesn't have religion, it does not mean they cannot be merciful and compassionate. Let's not forget that all humanity has the capacity to be somebody wonderful, no matter where they come from. That's one of the lessons of the Good Samaritan. Next point. The heart of our perceived enemy can be a big heart. You know what? We need to think about that. We may not like what somebody stands for, but do we know who that person is? Do we know what drives that person underneath it all? Why don't you ask them, hey, how are you today? What's on your mind? Next point. The heart of those with authority can be cowardly and selfish. And, you know, we so often assume that those who seem to know and those who seem to have the platform to be able to say and to speak are the ones that we should follow. I wonder. You got to wonder. It doesn't mean just because they're there that they've got it all together. So let's not assume things about anybody. And what's our final point before we close? Our actions always speak louder than our words. They do. And the actions of the Good Samaritan spoke louder than any words. As a matter of fact, that parable, he had just a few words. And the only words were for the innkeeper. Here, here's some extra money. I'll take care of any other bills on my way back. That's all. He, the Good Samaritan, didn't have to say anything to be the Good Samaritan. He just acted. He saw the problem. He saw the difficulty and the trauma. And he responded with his whole heart, with his whole being. He put his life on hold. And he did what Jesus would do. Who is my neighbor? Whoever you come across as you go through life, who has need, reach out. Be compassionate. Be that person that says, you know what? Somebody else has a need. And I have this incredible opportunity to fill it. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. And then follow through until you're done. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us some your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. 
Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about one of the commandments. Last commandment, as a matter of fact. Thou shalt not covet. So does that mean it's wrong to want? Well, find out. Talk to you next week.